Riverside. Welcome back. Episode 8. Check me out. I know what episode it is. It is episode 8 of the Backside Ground Ball Pod. Brought to you by Powers and Torasani TV, TV Equipment Installation. For all your TV equipment installation needs in the Glenside, Pennsylvania area, call Powers and Torasani 1-800-BUNT. <laughs> Trev, what's going on, buddy? Dang, I didn't know you were no free ads, so I'll make sure to Venmo you uh, for that because uh, the TV hanging business is about to blow up with all our listeners. Well, Tor makes the big bucks, so he can uh, he can cut the check. <laughs> Definitely. I'll, I'll make sure to Venmo request him. <laughs> 45 cents is not that bad. I mean, uh, I, think, I don't think it'll hurt the wallet too bad. Nah, shouldn't. Next week's episode, I heard, is brought to you by uh, Powers uh, Powers Deck Rebuilding. Yeah, well, if they want half-done <laughs> jobs, then I'm the guy. <laughs> Need a deck or a porch. Um, yeah. What's going on, man? How are you? Can't complain. Living the dream. It thunderstorms every day down here. Um, and we're just going through another rainstorm and just going through it. Love to hear it. Um, feels like it's been a long time. I don't know why. I guess we were last on here on Thursday. Today is Monday, August 22nd. Quick note, this week will be the only episode this week that you'll hear me. You might possibly get a bonus episode where Trevor has someone on because um, the show must go on sometimes. Or you might not hear us again until next Monday, but I will be in the process of moving from Delaware down to North Carolina where hopefully you'll get more in-person episodes of this, which is pretty exciting, um, at least for me. Um, I'll be very excited to do that with you. Um, yeah, man, another another weekend gone in August, and we creep closer to September. We creep closer to the home stretch of the Major League Baseball season. Um, any any quick reactions from, uh, from the weekend from you? Yeah, I mean, to see the Braves kind of handle the Astros this weekend was pretty impressive. I mean, we kind of um, showed a a lot of positives on the Mets, and and I know some Mets fans were kind of clamoring the fact that they're not afraid of the Braves in a playoff series, but a team's starting to get in their own. They're starting to get healthier. They're starting to play really good baseball, and that lineup is scary good, Um, and and they showed what they had to do with the Astros. I always think it's funny because from the Astros standpoint, I feel like every time they play big series per se, they dominate. This was the first time that they didn't. Um, But I feel like every time they play the Yankees, the Mets, anybody in a big series, they end up winning the series, but they just kind of like skate by when they play the the lesser teams, I guess is the best way to say it. Because every time they're in the national news, it seems like it's because they're taking three out of four from the Yanks, two out of three from some other big team in the East or or something like that, but they don't win 140 games. So um, it was interesting to see, but they just, they're so casual. I feel like that team just can turn it on and turn it off. 
Like they're just like, oh, it's a weekend in Atlanta, no big deal. We'll we'll, we'll carry our own in October. Yeah, they're a lot like the Dodgers to me. Like those two teams are just on a, a kind of like in a in a, a world by their own, um, where they kind of can turn it on, turn off. Everybody else seems to be scratching and clawing, right, and playing with so much emotion this time of year, right? Like the Mets got their cocky thing going on. They're they're beating up on everybody, and and um, you know. You see some of the other playoff teams. The Cardinals are playing with a ton of emotion, right? They're not as fiery as it is, and like you see all these teams like grinding. I think things are falling apart in New York. They're booing. Aaron Boone's freaking out finally in press conferences, and then you just like it's like the Dodgers and the Astros, like you said, it's just like ho hum, right? It's you yeah. know oh, another series. You know, we'll, we'll probably take two or three at worst, or you know, in this case, I guess the Braves did win the series, but yeah, I mean it. And maybe it's like the, the national media East Coast bias thing or whatever. It's not big. You know, Houston's not necessarily the biggest of markets. But, like, I feel like you could just, like, they could go a whole two months and no one would ever mention them if they didn't yeah. play, like, a Yankees or a Dodgers or a Mets or a Braves or a team like that. And no one would talk about them and they would go, you know, 24 and 4 in that month. Yeah. And you're just like, what? They're, they're insane. I mean, what that front office does in building that roster and just. Like they almost, it's almost like they joke around and, and build their bullpen every year based off of one pitch, and they're just like, "Oh, this year it's going to be split fingers." Last year, yeah, this be it'll be cutters. fun to do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we we started the rising fastball, and then we're going to go to the sinker guys and everything, and they just they keep it going, and, and it's like they're a factory that can't be stopped. I mean, in terms of their more player evaluation than player development. They're not like the Dodgers and how they develop talent. Uh, They obviously do a really good job with it. But in terms of like calling up superstars, they haven't been replacing, you know, Jeremy Pena was obviously a huge piece, but it hasn't been kind of as much of a just a rotating door as Los Angeles is. But what they're able to do, you know, when when they signed Hector Neris, like you just know you're like, He's going to go there and be really good. You know, everybody they sign is really good. They have, like, six guys that throw 100-plus with split fingers. And just, it's unreal. Yeah, I think I think it's a lot, like, it's almost like the story's, the story's old now from a media standpoint, right? Like, in 17, right, the, the Sports Illustrated cover, you know, the guy had said the Astros would be the 2017 World Champions. They did it. Everybody was talking about it. They were kind of on the, the cutting edge the front side of a lot of the, the, the new teaching methods and the tech, <clears throat> the tech stuff in baseball. And now it's kind of like, well, that story's boring and we've told it. And yeah. it's like, they haven't stopped. <laughs> they haven't no. stopped being the leaders and all those things. Like you said, they're, you know, they're split figure this year, they're cutter last year in the bullpen. They just like their front office is always a step and a half ahead. A lot like the Dodgers. Now the Dodgers, the Dodgers tend to, excuse me, the Dodgers tend to throw a little bit more money at some things. So that's why they continue to, to garner the headlines. But it's like, well, yeah, Carlos Correa is a free agent. Cool. We're not going to pay you. We got this yeah. guy. You ever heard of Jeremy Pena? Plug and play. Altuve's been the same player for like 34 years at this point, it feels like. It's like, oh, we need a big bat. Jordan Alvarez. Like, it's just super a factory. It's a factory. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. He's might be more, he might be one of the most underrated players in the game just because he doesn't get the attention he deserves. Yeah. I'd agree with he's that. So I mean, it's. I think part of it is the fact that they never really fell off from the sign stealing scandal that was blown way out of proportion. Right. And I think the biggest negative in my mind was how they handled it 
you know, like yes, you should have just said we did it. That's it, you know. And the fact that AJ Hinch was a scapegoat and all the stuff that that was thrown, and especially Carlos Beltran, you know, the way that unfolded mm. in my mind was just not good. And the players get get off scotch free, but everybody in the the world wanted them to fail. And then they did it, yes. and that's why people don't talk about them anymore, right? right. Like people are right. just like, oh, like ignore them almost at this point because of the fact that they weren't bad. They they literally went out and they've raked ever since the day that whether they were stealing signs or not. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it just shows how I guess little. I think it helped, but how little in the grand scheme of things it was. Yeah, and I think it always sat poorly with me was the career interview at spring training when he just like played the victim card, which was so weird. Again, they just handled it so poorly and we've had that discussion before, but it's just like, it was so poorly handled and you're right. Like everybody wanted them to become the new villains in baseball and they just kind of didn't, they did a good job of, of kind of just like cleaning it up. And like you said, if you're able to rake afterwards and kind of just shuts everyone up. Was Altuve wearing a buzzer? No. Let's get first so. take. I, was Altuve would, was Altuve wearing a buzzer? Would I be surprised though? In all honesty, after like what came out, like th- there's teams in the MLB that will do anything for a competitive edge. Oh, for sure, anything. Buzzers, sure. yeah. If they're going to the point of hitting trash cans, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they were using buzzers. The, the weirdest yeah. thing for me about the buzzer thing is again how it was handled. Altuve saying he didn't like he had a new tattoo that he didn't want his wife, yeah, that's weird, girlfriend, whatever to see is like that's the weirdest answer ever. Like that's such a bad that, excuse. That's almost as bad as my dog ate my homework. Is that almost so bad that it has to be true? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the guy does have a pretty bad chest tattoo, I think. I think I've seen a picture of it. But, like, still, like, such a weird, like, I think there's so many other things you could say of to, like, why you didn't want your jersey ripped off in front of people. I don't know. Maybe I'm not comfortable being shirtless in front of millions of people on the... I, that's fine. I would have been like, oh, yeah, I can't really, I'm not going to challenge that. Fine, guy's got body image issues, right? Like, who's yeah. going to say that? You kind of protect yourself there. But, like, <laughs> I have a bad tattoo. It's a little weird. Yeah, that was weird. That that one, that part is a lot weirder than the, I don't know, if they were if they were using buzzers, that would be. Well, I, they, I, They're probably still I, cheating now at, that, at this point. If they were, yeah, yeah. But, like, I don't want to throw shots either, but, like, John Boyd's great in a lot of ways, but he gets his, he gets a he gets to skate on so much stuff. Like sometimes yeah. he could be a whiny Yankees fan, and like doing the breakdowns of trying to figure out whether or not, like trying to deduce whether or not they were wearing buzzers that year, is like, come on, dude. They, they take it easy. Chapman threw take a bad it easy pitch. on. Take it easy on our future employers. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's great. I, I started by saying he's great for the game. He does great job. His video stuff is awesome. He does a really good job. All of the play. I mean, he's grown so much. Yeah, I to, I, the company is huge now. They have a lot of good people working for him. They've put out a ton of great content. Yada, yada. I'm just saying. There are times when it's like, come on, dude. Really? Yeah, he's definitely biased. It's kind of it's kind of bad. Um, 
One thing that, that I, I saw over the weekend that uh, wasn't that big of a story, but it popped up on my Twitter timeline. So it grabbed my attention and I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this was there was a video that surfaced, I guess, from a San Francisco Giants account. I'm not sure who tweeted out. I should probably give credit, um, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, in 2018, in a game between the Giants and the Gabe Kapler-led Phillies, Brandon Belt was up in the top of the second inning in a 3-1 count of a nothing nothing game with Aaron Nolan on the mound. He showed bunt, pulled back, it was called a strike. Um, KNBR is the Twitter source, um, which I believe is a um, Bay Area uh, sports radio, 104.5 FM if you're out in the Bay Area, KNBR. Uh, tweet us out. So sorry. It was a nothing nothing game in, in Philadelphia in, in 2018, and Gabe Kapler was the manager. Brandon Belt shows bunt and pulls back. Gabe Kapler is caught in the dugout saying, in a 3-1 count, you hit fourth for the Giants. Swing that thing back. Okay. That, you know, now fast forward back to this past Thursday, the Giants are getting shut out 5 nothing by um, Zach Allen. The Diamondbacks were doing a great game. They had runners on first and second um, in the eighth inning, down 5 nothing in a 1-2 count, and Brandon Belt bunts foul to strike out. Kind of weird because it's a 1-2 count. Not sure about that. Um, I'll get your opinion on that in a second, I guess. But the thing that I kind of – didn't like is that the reason that KMBR tweeted this out is because Gabe Kapler afterwards went to bat for Brandon Belt, right? He said basically that I trust Brandon. I, I believe Brandon Crawford also tried to do something similar earlier in the game. And he said, I trust those two guys. They've played a lot of baseball. They're veterans. I trust them to make the proper decision in that situation. And, and at that time, he felt the right move was to lay a bump down. And that was basically his quotes. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But Obviously, Giants fans were very upset that Kapler did this because it was like, you were just the guy four years ago mocking him for bunting. Now he's bunting. We're getting shut out. We're frustrated because we thought we'd be a playoff team this year. We're getting shut out, and our four-hole hitter or wherever he was hitting the lineup that day is bunting in a one-two count to end the inning when we had a runner in scoring position. Here's my problem. Gabe Kapler's clearly just standing up for his guys. And I think if you watch the clip of Kapler, he's frustrated. And he is clearly dancing around the topic. And I think Gabe Kapler really tries to be a player's manager. And he doesn't know how to do it to the media. Because I don't think he's great at handling the media. So when he tries to stick up for his guys, it comes off the wrong way a lot. I think it used to happen in Philadelphia all the time. I think now that they're having a frustrating season in San Francisco and they had expectations, they're starting to wear on his, you know, his vernacular is definitely interesting. He doesn't speak like most people speak. You hear most baseball managers talk and everyone kind of sounds the same until you hear Gabe Kapler. And I think when you watch the video back of him talking about the situation, he's clearly trying to just defend his veteran guys. He's not gonna he's not gonna roll Brandon Belt, who's played for that city for that long, out in the street and let him get run over by a bus. He's not gonna do it. I don't think he was happy with it. I don't think Gabe Kapler's some huge hypocrite. And I don't like a lot of times that sports media feel like they're the ones who are supposed to hold people accountable, right? It happens in Philadelphia all the time. For some reason, they think they wear this badge of honor where they're the ones who are supposed to hold people accountable. And when Gabe Kapler gets up there and doesn't hold his players accountable, but instead defends them, you should run him out of town or he's wrong or he's a hypocrite. 
And that frustrates me because, one, I don't think it's the job of sports media to hold people accountable. You don't work for the organization. You work for the sports media company that you that you are employed by. You're supposed to deliver news to the fans and broadcast the games and do all that stuff and report on it. You're not supposed to hold anyone accountable. Like, that's not your job here. And to say that Gabe Kapler is, like, in the wrong here, I, I don't think he is. I think it's such a non-story and – I just found it interesting that there was some up, you know, some outrage in San Francisco over this because it's like, again, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to go out there and Brandon Bell, who's won World Series for that franchise, who has a ton of big moments for them, who's been a great player for them for a lot of years, and go, I don't know what he was thinking. It's fourth for the, the San Francisco Giants. He's not going to be in the lineup for the next two weeks. It, it just kind of it bothered me a little bit. Yeah, and – like you said, the, the fact that the media thinks that they have every right to hold Brandon Belt accountable and expect Gabe Kapler to just hang out a vet. I mean, that's not a rookie mistake, right? And he, Gabe Kapler owes the media really at the end of the day nothing. Um, not He he didn't even have to answer that question. Um, right. But at the end of the day, Brandon Belt is a veteran and Gabe Kapler – whether he was frustrated or not, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've seen Harper do that before, especially with the shift, because they'll usually abandon third base with two strikes. Um, and like, if you're really uncomfortable in in the box and really feeling like you just want to get a knock and you feel like you can control the bat head enough, like, I don't think it's out of left field with you know to to try because if you get it fair everybody's applauding you because you beat the shift and all these lefties all they try to do is hit it over the shift and you know what i'm saying so like brandon belt's just trying to be creative he's not having the same season he had last year he's smelling a knock in a game where obviously zach gallon had their number and just everything that's yeah and the biggest thing from kapler's perspective is you know at the end of the day i'm not going to sit here and I, I agreed with both sides of what he said right and, and the reason why is because and I don't think he's a hypocrite at all because if you put a video camera on me in a dugout two years ago and then put a microphone in front of me a year ago working with the offenses that I w- was blessed enough to work with and in the situations that I was working with my answers would have probably been a lot different because there's very good chance that I could have been sitting there two years ago working with an offense that can play for the long ball and everything of that nature saying the same thing. What's this clown doing taking a, trying to bunt on a 3-1 count? What's, you know, you're the four hitter. Why don't you try to hit a homer? And then being a year later when you don't really play for that long ball as much anymore and you don't have the skill set to play for it, like you're kind of looking for knocks any way you can and then you're, you know, like you said, Gabe Kapler is just there defending his guy, you know? So from that standpoint is I'm not going to sit here and, and say that a year, two years, a month, two months, like you could say something different in both situations that are complete opposites. And I don't think you're a hypocrite because at the end of the guy, at the end of the day, you got to face, face the guy in your locker room. You don't have to face the media. You owe nothing to the media because as long as ownership's still signing your checks and you still have those guys in that locker room, that's all that matters. Yeah, and I just, I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't agree with Brandon Belt doing it necessarily. Now, I understand, like you said, he's trying to steal a knock. Gallon's punching tickets all day. If I was his manager, would I have liked him to swing the bat there? Sure. 
right? I just don't necessarily see it because I don't like the bunt wasn't going to get you back in that game. Even if you're successful, the bunt doesn't get you back in the game, right? You possibly losing one or hitting one in the gap might affect the game. You're down five nothing still so here. That's why I don't think it's that big of a story because either way, I don't think yeah. it would have mattered. Gallon gives up a three run bomb there, so I don't think the Giants win that game. But again, to your point, you're right. He's not a hypocrite because one, he was on the other side of it, right? And here's a guy in the four hole ahead in the count three one, and he's thinking, "Oh, thank you for you know letting Aaron Nola get a freebie." And yeah. that's why he said what he said. And now he's he's the manager of Brandon Bell, and he's sticking up for him. So, yeah, it's, it's completely different, and you have to manage and adjust to the way, um, you know, your who, whatever dugout you're in or what your team is. is. And, and to your point, Brandon Bell's a, a vet. You're not going to roll that guy into the bus. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, it's just interesting what people – sometimes hang on. And I get it. They're losing. They're struggling. So there's a lot of frustrated fans. And there's probably a lot of frustrated guys in the clubhouse after the year they had. Um, and, and that's completely fair, right? That is completely fair. But sometimes sometimes we get so wrapped up in it, I think we lose perspective a lot. And it's funny because it's just like this it shouldn't have even been a thing. Um, yeah. But here we are talking about it four days later. Um, moving on to something a little more fun to talk about, I think. Uh, there's a guy from the Astros we talked about earlier who's heating up, and that's Alex Bregman. Now, he spent you know the beginning part of the year a little bit dinged up, and then he wasn't performing really up to you know what Alex, Alex Bregman, what the guy we're used to, the, the MVP candidate Alex Bregman, but man, he has turned it on. Yeah, I mean, he's finally gotten going. He had a rough year last year i'd say um not up to his standards there's no doubt about that but to see him finally get going get healthy it seems like um i know i followed if you follow his youtube page um he was kind of going through his off-season hitting progression and i know he made a couple changes uh this off-season and it was interesting to see because i don't want to say i didn't agree with him but i thought it made him less athletic um and i didn't think he was moving in the box as as athletic as he was capable of and i think looking at what he's doing now it looks a lot more like what he was doing a couple years ago when he was the mvp um in terms of how he's moving how his stance is he's you know he's always been a little bit stiff um but I think when he came into this season, he was so focused on his mechanics that he made himself almost too stiff, if that makes any sense. And I think he's finally loosened up, got comfortable with what he's doing, got comfortable with his game plan, and you know he's definitely rolling right now. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me because I think a little bit of the problem is is and part of why he was trying to find the you know the mechanical adjustments is he hit the ball on the ground a lot last year more than, than he would like to and what his approach is and how he is as a hitter, right? He's not a guy that's really going to be successful if he's hitting the ball on the ground, right? He's a guy who needs the true backspin and he's going to elevate balls, right? Which you've talked about here um, on, on the show a lot is, you know, Bregman, you love him because he's a guy who talks about getting the true ball flight and being able to, you know, mm-hmm. keep the ball fair down the line and just absolutely backspinning it. He wasn't able to elevate for whatever reason last year. Now, again, he's been hampered by some injuries the last couple of years, so that could have been part of it, but he's, he's finding it again, right? Like this year, he's not putting the ball on the ground. He's starting to lift it again. And then you look at, 
you look at him and what's he's just he controls the strike zone. I mean, he controls the strike zone probably better than Juan Soto. And Soto, I think, is just an absolute freak when it comes to that. I mean, he's the best in the game at, at swinging at strikes. You know, his walk percentage and his K percentage are up at the you know at the tops of the league at, at, at all times. And so he doesn't necessarily need to hit the ball that hard, right? And he doesn't. He's not a high you know exit below yeah. guy because he understands that what he needs to do and how he needs to be successful. And a big part of that is being able to um, hunt pitches in the zone that he can handle and he can do what he wants to on, which is get the, the backspin and lift. And he's starting to heat up, and man, it just makes such a difference in that lineup when you're now pairing him. If he can regain form with Jordan, I mean, just that combination there and what he's done, it's, it's impressive. Yeah, and, and you look at his baseball savant page and just taking his Woba versus expected Woba, and that's something I always like. I always say that I, I kind of almost view baseball in this process oriented vacuum where I view players as their expected stats, right? And by his career, there, there's guys obviously that have those ebbs and flows where, you know, their expected stats are they perform over, they perform under, and over the course of their career, it evens out. Alex Bregman's probably the one guy that because of his understanding of who he is and the part that he plays in, that he is always going to outperform his expected stats unless he's kind of scuffling, right? And the reason I say that is because he has never had an average exit velocity over 90 miles per hour, right? He is in the 50th percentile pretty much every year. um, And his ability to understand himself and understand the park that he plays in is huge, huge. And, you know, he is a, for any youth coaches, anybody who works with just your average athlete, average hitter that's going to play college baseball, right? Whether it's at the D1 level, D2 level, D3 level, high school level, anything of that nature, you can learn so much from Alex Bregman, right? And that's been like the age old talk is, oh, don't do what Barry Bonds does. You can't do it. He's a unicorn, right? Well, Alex Bregman is a prototypical example of an undersized, not strong, not physically freakish athlete, not that twitchy either. He's just like your average, I don't even think he's six foot. It says he's six foot on his MLB page. I would probably care to bet that he's probably closer to 5'10". And just being able to get to the big league level and understand himself so well and have success, right? He he did a podcast over COVID and I learned, I mean, he only did like five or six episodes and I learned maybe even three on baseball. And I learned so much about hitting in those three episodes. And one of the things that stood out the most to me was him saying, I have to hit the ball in the air to the poles. I'm not strong. I can't go big fly to center in the air. To center, he's on the ground and low line drives. To the poles, he just tries to get in the air. And the other thing he said, Josh Donaldson, when he – did an interview, I believe, and I've obviously Josh Donaldson changed my career of, of anything, whether it was as a player or as a coach, just how I see hitting and see the swing. Talked about that he doesn't care about spin, right? Doesn't matter how he hits it, if he side spins it, top spins it, right? And for guys that can produce 115 mile per hour exit velos, like Josh Donaldson, like John Carlos, Stanton, like Aaron Judge, 
that works. Alex Bregman said, I need backspin and true carry to the poles. And that's all he worries about. And if you look at his spray chart on Baseball Savant, it's pull everything. But he doesn't yank, right? And that's what makes him so special is because he doesn't get up on the plate and try to buggy whip anything and start topspinning balls by the third baseman. What he does is he keeps everything fair. He talks about his signal lights facing the first base dugout. And I call that keeping your front side closed. People talk, call it losing your posture. People want to call it all these things. But that keeps him in the hitting zone for so long. And the only thing he changes in his swing is contact point, right? So if it's an inside fastball, he just gets it out in front and backspins it off the pole. And by not losing that front shoulder, that's how you keep it fair. That was one thing I never understood as a hitter is how to keep a ball fair. That's what most people don't understand. When they try to pull the ball, they hook it foul. They top spin it. When you don't try to pull the ball, which is kind of where the thought process of think right center, be on time for right field, react in, those are the guys that are able to pull the ball with backspin, and that's what Bregman does so well. I mean, it's mind-boggling. He he said that he'll set up a pitching machine from second base at full velo and shoot it at his hip and try to – keep balls fair off of his front hip. And that's what he's capable of doing. That's why you hit 30, 40 home runs in the big leagues at six foot or five ten, one eighty. 180. So my question is, is outside of, of putting the, the hack at, at second base and shooting it at your hip at Vulvila, right? You talk about the idea of, of, you know, staying right center and reacting in. I feel like when, when you do that, a lot of times you can then start to buggy whip, right? Because you jump. You almost jump at it. It's like, oh, I'm reacting in. I jump at it, and I almost react too quickly. How do you how do you do that? How do you teach your body then to to keep the posture there and be able to to backspin a ball down the line? I think it gets from from my perspective and and with my viewpoints of it as a coach from the coaching side of things because this was something I never figured out when I actually stood in the box. I was notorious for hooking. I had more home runs hooked foul than I had hit fair. Um, because of I would just lose my posture and I did not understand it. But what I noticed that helped click guys was it's not hit it to right center. It's your body needs to hit it to right center, right? And these are for big donkeys that can go pull side. They can go big fly to right center. It's just overemphasizing that in your brain. Because what, what a lot of coaches historically have done is talk about beyond time for right center. And what they don't emphasize is you can still pull the ball, right? And that's right. what gets mistaken is I'm when I'm saying beyond time for right center, I'm telling you this is how we're going to teach you to pull the ball. And it might make no sense at first, but we're in the cage talking about pulling a baseball, Right. Like we're not out there trying to like, oh, like work in the right center gap. No, I'm teach trying to tell you this is how we properly pull the ball, right? We need to keep the ball fair off the pole, backspin off the pole. And by doing that, our body needs to work to right center and we just bring our hands inside and adjust contact point. And that's how we get backspin off the pole. How many guys do you think then pull the ball correctly? Because right, what I'm hearing here, right, is I'm seeing Bregman and I'm thinking about being able to keep the ball fair and how important it is. And you watch a bunch of other guys, right? Like when Stanton gets one that he backspins, right? If you remember those ones in Miami that he hit off the back windows at that stadium, 
right? And just that idea of being able to, you know, understand that staying with your body towards the big part of the field then helps you, right, backspin a ball pull side and hit it true, right? That's almost, for lack of a better term, that's almost the proper way to pull a baseball, right? Because the easiest thing to yeah. do when you first start learning how to hit, right, is pulling the ball, right? You feel like everybody can pull the ball. It's the guys who are impressive that, you know, start to show the opposite field juice and things like that. You can really use use the, the opposite gap. And to me, it's like, okay, are those guys who – what makes them so impressive is those guys who use the opposite field gap also the ones who are, are keeping the ball fair more when they go pull side because their body and just their direction, right? It's almost like thinking about pitching where we're worried about direction all the time, right? I was always worried about direction. You need to keep your direction if you want everything to be crisp. And if you keep your direction, you know, how do you get glove side is, well, you keep your direction forward, right? Yeah. If you stay forward longer and stay in your lane and don't try and yank – to your glove side, then you're going to locate it there, right? And it's almost the same thing as a hitter, right? He's like, okay, if I can keep my direction forward, then I'm going to be able to get pull side with true ball yep. flight. Yes, and by saying yank, yank is the exact same word I use when I talk about hitters that have a tendency to to backspin it. And you talk about Alec Bomber a lot, right? You think he's a guy who should be hitting for more power. You think he's a guy who's going to grow into power. And I truly do believe that Alec Bomb is having that career progression that you're exactly saying. I'm working the other way, working the other way. The issue of so many hitters is, you know, why was the launch angle and pool craze even a thing? is hitters would get stuck at that oppo approach, right? Because coaches thought that was the only way. Oh, you have to work on top of the ball. You have to work the other way. You have to do all these things. But there was never a next step, right? And they just taught these. I always say Derek Jeter was the worst thing for baseball, right? Because of how his swing worked. Everybody idolized him. And everybody taught how to hit like Derek Jeter, but nobody taught the next step. Right. So all these kids are working inside out, working inside out, working inside out. And what do they end up doing when they finally get brushed in? Pull and yank. But nobody right. took that next step to teach that. And that's why you see guys like have a Christian Yelich, like bonkers. Just they figure it out, yeah. right? Because Christian Yelich will always have base knock to left in his back pocket. He still has it today. But when he started to figure out how to backspin a ball, he always kept it fair. Right, and you see these guys in the big leagues that can literally hit balls sinkers off the plate in and just keep them down the line, even for base knocks. Right, we're not even talking about like just not to hit that into right. the up trip third deck in right over the third base dugout is impressive because it's what they're able to do. Right, and that's what Anthony Rizzo's done this year. What people don't understand is he had forty home runs last year. Yep, he had twenty of them hooked foul. Right. He came into this season and he was he knew all he needed to do to have success was keep those balls fair. Because you can hit till you're forty five if you hit like Alex Bregman. And I, I'm not looking at Anthony Rizzo's baseball savant page and everybody clamors over the fact that he puts together a quality at bat and he stays the other way. But staying the other way is what gives him keeping those balls fair. You know who else does a really good job of it? Joey Gallo. 
And because he almost overemphasized it for stretches with the Yankees where he was just trying to stay to left center field. And that was what was going to get him to the pool side really well and keep balls fair. Right. So there's a lot of guys in the big leagues that do it well. But I also think it's it was something that wasn't taught enough. And it's why there's a lot of hitters that never felt like they were able to tap into their true ceiling. But that's the real versus feel. Right. It's you feel like you're on time for right center field. You feel like you're inside the baseball. You feel like all these things, you feel like you're on top of it. But in reality, all you're changing is contact point, catching it out in front, bringing your hands inside the baseball and just backspinning that ball right off the pole. And Alex Bregman does it better than anybody else. It's impressive. It's also impressive to me that you, no, no matter what we're talking about, you can find a way to bring it back to your to the love of your life, Joey Gallo. That's uncanny. So we could be talking, we could be talking about Babe Ruth, and somehow Joey Gallo would get brought into it. It's impressive. Dude, um, it was just, it was just. You asked who does it well, and like I said, well, I was I mean, just. I'm just saying. I mean, and he does. He does a very it, good guys job. playing really well for the Dodgers. Surprise, surprise. Guy gets out of New York, gets into that organization with the Dodgers, and he's starting to, to look like the guy that we used to know him as. That's weird. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll try to go and not name drop him the rest of the day. Joey Gallo, if you want to hit this off season, though, I got you. <laughs> it's also uh, it's also funny to me too. Just talking, you know, the more we talk about it, the more you know, I think about things. It's like people always like talk about how sometimes baseball gets a rap for not being like as athletic. Right. Like, you know, football and basketball, like those pure athleticism. When you watch the sport, you can really see it, right? Sprint speed, strength, things like that. But when you really get into to baseball, right, it's athleticism, just like any other sport. It's body control. Right. You're talking yeah. about that right there. We just talked about is body control. So much of pitching is body control and understanding how to move. It's all athleticism. And the best athletes are going to be the best at it. Because if you can control your body, then you can you can do the things that you need to, to be successful and, and, you know, things like pull the ball backspin or, um, you know, locate a fastball at max effort. It's body control and it's athleticism. It's funny to me because you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like baseball, a lot of times gets the rap Mm -hmm. of not, you know, not being peak athleticism. Yeah, sure. They're, they're fat slobs like Daniel Vogelbach. who can run around and do it, but the guy's pretty freaking athletic. Yeah. Well, I think about a left tackle in football who can get downfield on a, get yeah. downfield on a, a screen pass, right? Yeah. That, that big 300-pound-plus guy. You know, watch Jordan Davis chase down a, a, a back sideline to sideline. The dude's like 350. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Right? It's, 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 yeah, it's an appropriate reception. Yep, exactly. Your ability to find coordination and uncomfortable movements, you know, and it's – it really – I mean, it's crazy. I, I mean, we could go probably a lot longer talking about Bregman. We haven't even tapped into the full – understanding of of him as a hitter because he's so i mean he's he's outspoken about it and anybody you know i'm like his probably his biggest like follower in terms of hanging on to every word he says and trying to figure out why he does what he does because like i said what makes him so special is the fact that he's not like anything special in terms of strength in terms of speed in terms of twitchiness in terms of just anything like he, he, I guarantee he's not the highest 
vertical jumper. He's not the strongest deadlifter for even for his size. You know, like that's the big thing is some of these smaller dudes in the MLB that are able to produce force, like you know, like a like Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson's not a big dude, but he he produces a ton of force. That's not Bregman, but because he's right. probably one of the most coordinated guys in the league, he's able to move so efficiently and understands hitting so much that he can just say, "Nah, that whole center field homer thing, that ain't for me." I'm just going to go poolside Jack into the Crawford boxes for my whole career. And that's it. And it makes sense. And you think about it, you never really hear, hear it talk that way, right? You never hear about someone, you know, think about a hitting approach of, of in the ballpark where they are or understanding who you are, right? Like that's, that's the biggest thing. It's understanding who you are and, and your athletic makeup and what's going to make you successful and then execute it to the best of your ability. And if you break it Let's, down to that, right? If that, that becomes yeah. a process, that's what it becomes about. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, do you want to know how much I talk about foul, pulling balls, foul being strikes? A former player of mine texted me and said, did you catch Schwarber's foul home run he hooked? Yeah. That's how much I talk about hooking homers foul because at the end of the day, I mean, you what would you say? They're strikes as a pitching coach, and strikes. I used to say that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's true, and, and we played Oswego State in the, in the regional, and they hooked – at least three homers foul against us in three games. And I was like, dude, this team left 30 bombs on the bone this year because they all just buggy whipped. And like, it was just something small, right? Like you pick up on that. Like it's because it's something I looked out for. It's like, they just lost their front side a little bit. And all you had to do was just overemphasize just, Hey, like I want you to pull the ball, but you got to be on time for right center to make that happen. It's like, I get texts all the time about like, Oh, like, this guy hooked a homer foul. I mean, Corey Seager's home run derby, if anybody wants to see like yeah. true art, is he literally was working on high and in fastballs and just trying to hit them off the pole. And I mean, if it wasn't for him facing Julio Rodriguez, we would have probably gotten to see a second round of it. But that's all he did. And guess what? He is so good at keeping his body flowing to left center field, being flat, like we talked about with side bend, right? We're talking about that. He's flat when he's upright. He bends when it's low. And all he does is just get true spin to the pull side. And that's why he has 26 homers this year. And he can hit 300. I think he can pick and choose what he wants to do. And I think there are going to be times where he hits 320 with 35 home runs when he starts to continue to learn his body and understand what he does. All right. We just... um Ran into some technical difficulties there a little bit. Uh, not sure what happened. We cut out. We lost some Wi-Fi. The storms in Lillington knocked out the power. Um, we're back. Uh, yeah, and, and that's probably the end of the episode anyway. But I wanted to let everyone know that if it was choppy there for a bit and then we disappeared, it's because we lost power. In the middle of a great hitting talk, too. Thank God Corey Seager's also getting hot, by the way. Yeah, he's a stud. He's a stud. <laughs> he's Thank God I noticed loose. that it went out because I would have talked for 40 minutes about Corey Seager. You should have done it and then just run it on Thursday. <laughs> you just could have clipped it to run it on Thursday when I'm not around. That's a good point. Maybe he goes solo show. 
see if you can work my way out. If you do try and wiggle me out of this, though, I will be on the phone with uh, Jimmy Sexton uh, working yeah. on my, my deal to, yeah. Find a new podcast? I don't know. Figure something out. Yeah. It's leverage. It's leverage. Mm. That's what yeah. yeah, I understand. Yeah. I understand. But uh, till next time, whenever that is, definitely next Monday. You might be back with another episode at the end of this week. I will not be back till next week. There's a possibility that neither one of us could be back till next week. But the good news is, like I said at the start of the show, the reason I'll be out is because I'm headed your way. Finally. I'm making the move to the great state of North Carolina. I cannot wait. Finally. Um, we've got a lot of golf to play. We have podcasts recorded in person, and we have college football season coming up, Major League Baseball playoffs coming up. And we get to we get to do it together. It's better than that. Yeah. Can me on Twitter. Um, I'm taking bets for over under two and a half months before Trevor's sick and tired of me. Um, find me on Twitter and shoot me a DM at backside GB. on Twitter at backside GB on Twitter. Find us on all of your podcast hosting sources. Share with five friends. Share it with five friends. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Give us a rate, a review. And we're just your your friendly neighborhood baseball guys. Have a good night. (laughs)